0: Welcome to the A Better Way to Farm podcast, where we share serious secrets about profitable farming. We appreciate you taking the time to join us, and we hope that you'll love the knowledge we share not only with you today, but also in future episodes. So let's get right into it.
1: Hey everyone, Tyler here with A Better Way to Farm, where we spend each and every day providing solutions to farmers to grow better crops and to make more money. As always, to my right is Nick. How you doing, bud? Hey, pretty good. Glad to be back. It's nice, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Well, you know, I mean, you know, we had to take a vacation. A COVID vacation. COVID vacation. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So in today's episode, we're going to reach out to the man behind the wildly popular Facebook page for A Better Way to Farm. He's one of the reasons we also have this podcast, so we've got to thank him for that. Yep. He's a real crop, grass hay, alfalfa grower, and livestock producer, and a very successful businessman of a large ag business that stretches across 30 states, a great person and a better friend, Mr. Rod Livesey. Rod, thanks for joining us this evening. Hey, thank you guys. It's an honor to be here. So the first question that we wanted to ask you tonight, Rod, is in order to know where you're going, you've always got to look at where you've come from. So before the plots and even before all the success, where does Rod's story begin? (laughs) Well, I guess uh, I grew up on a farm in
2: southeast Iowa just shared this story yesterday with a group of young FFA leaders that I, I, I live on the farm now, ironically, that I grew up on. And in the fall of 1978, I graduated in the spring, and in the fall of 78, I ran away. I'd like to tell you that I went to college, but what I did was run away. Uh, I thought I hated farming because we did a lot of things not correctly, and I didn't enjoy it, and it wasn't any fun, and so I ran away and got a business degree, and the very first thing I did after I got out of college was I got a very high-paying job as a plant manager for a, for a whole shift right out of school. And I thought, man, I had it made. I thought this was it. I thought a job was a deal. And I remember I took the job June 1st, and on the night of July the 3rd of 1980, I was driving to work, and I looked up at the cab of my brand-new pickup i bought, which was not real intelligent, but I, of course, had to borrow money and buy a new pickup. And I, I literally cried out, my God, what have I done? I hate it. What I did, but I made so much money, I've been chicken. I would never quit. And on by the grace of God, on December the 1st of nineteen eighty, six six months to the day after I started, they fired me. It was devastating at the time. It was the 80s. There were no jobs. They promised me that I would stay and some people that had been there a long time. But they figured out if they fired me on the first day of December, they didn't have to pay unemployment. They could save a little money. <laughs> yeah. That was kind of my start. And when I realized on that drive home that night, I, I made a vow that never again would any human being have that kind of power over me. And so since then, I've basically been self-employed in some capacity. And we, we did a couple, three different things. I spent three years in the insurance business. And I loved that. I didn't care for the structure of the company, so I, I left that of my own accord. I once got a bright idea in about 30 miles of railroad ties. And we picked those up. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, you guys are laughing. We picked up about 185,000 railroad ties and resold those. Wow. And so uh, always an entrepreneur, always working. I've sold railroad ties. When you go to Iowa City and all those tie walls that you look at out there just off of 380 on the west side of town, I sold all those ties to builders, all of them. And so, and from there I started in. We started, uh, didn't want to do it. I had a friend I'd made while I was living in Columbus Junction, and he wanted to start detasseling. I didn't even know what it was. And he came to me in desperation, and he said, I tried to get into two different Pioneer plants, and they said we weren't going to get in. They said they both called today and said, we need you. Would you please run a crew at the South Plant? And that was my beginning into the detasseling business. Well, the partnership didn't work out very good. I detasseled all year, and I made $3.25 an hour, and he kept all the profits. But I realized we were actually pretty good at and I liked agriculture. And a lot of times in the fall, mm-hmm. Tyler, Nick, I, I don't know how it is for you guys, but there are certain times of the year when if you if your heart's in ag, when that full moon comes up in October, you want to be running a combine. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, your heart's just breaking. Mm-hmm. In the spring, when everybody's planting, you want to be planting. When everybody's working their calves or doing something with their cows, you want to be, you know, I We'll take a day and run 80 cows through a head chute, and other people think that's misery, and I'm in the height of my glory. I'm just as happy as I can mm-hmm. be. And so we started the detasseling thing. We were the largest provider of labor to the seed cord industry for several years. Very stressful, uh, but I got, and I worked in all phases of production of seed cord, and I learned so much. And then in, uh, we started with the, the company in 1992 in the fall. And we did both the detastling and this for till nineteen ninety-five when we gave that up. And we've been full time here. Now we farm because it's our passion and we love it and we do it with our family. But we've been full time at this. So that's kind of our background, how we got to where we are and why we do what we do.
1: Well, that's fantastic. I didn't yeah. know the railroad tie story. So, yeah, it really You had to Lost exhausted through. after picking up that many miles.
2: Well, we picked them up with a machine, but we graded them all by hand. Oh, my god. And so I handled a good portion of it. I was much bigger oh, back okay. then. Yeah. Uh, much bigger. Yeah. And, and so I, uh, yeah, you do that 12 hours a day, seven days a week for two years, you're, you're fairly tough. Yeah. Yes. I don't ever want to be that tough again. <laughs>
1: Well, I was certainly stronger ten years ago, not <laughs> necessarily bigger. <laughs> right. Anyway, yeah. So you could say that's where the passion and your love for agriculture was born,
0: right? Yep. What about the passion that you have to lead the Facebook page, and what were your expectations when it was first created? I look
2: back to the Cardinals in 2011. I, there's an old or an old song from the 70s. It was by Susie Quattro. It's called Stumbling In. And the Cardinals got into the into the playoffs because they by one game, and they were the wild card. They just stumbled in and yet ended up winning it all. And I look at, at my foray into the Facebook page. I was smart enough to know there was something there, but I equate it to a story once I heard. It's kind of like an ant on a semi-tire. The guy gets in the semi, and he shuts the door, and the ant on top of the tire knows something big is about to happen. But you don't have any idea what it is. <laughs> okay? <Right. laughs> okay. All right? And so I felt like the Facebook page was going to be a good idea. I felt like it was something that was here to stay. And I started the page in 2012. Karen, the 26-year-old daughter, came back in about, I don't know, late 2013 or 2014. Now, in that time frame, in about 24 months, I've managed to get all the way to 2,000 followers. Hey. <laughs> and most of those were my relatives, But... <laughs> But Karen came home and said, Dad, you got a great idea. Uh, but what, what she was really saying was, but you stink at this. <laughs> but she was nice enough and smart enough to say, Dad, you got a great idea. Can I help you? And I said, absolutely, because I knew I was out of my realm. And so between 2014 and today, Karen's added 83,000 people that we're not related to to the page. And so we have, <laughs> we have actually almost 86,000 followers. And, and I ninety six. No, excuse me. Yeah, ninety six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, ninety six thousand followers. I apologize. And you know, sis is just gifted at this, and she has studied. She has taken classes. And and honestly, most of the time when you guys see me or hear me, I my goal is to always bring great content to bring value. Sis does all the stuff that well. Both of the girls, Kayla and Karen, do all the stuff that that is actually fun and makes it interesting and entertaining and things to think about, but. I go live when Karen says, "Dad, go live on this." Okay. Now, bear in mind, Karen was sick; she was in the hospital for about five and a half months. Even in the depths of all of that, even when she couldn't talk, we were reading her lips. She'd say, "Dad, go live on this," and I, I shot live videos in the hospital, literally. Yep. And so we are passionate about our business, and we are our passion for the Facebook page comes from the same thing as a passion for a better way to farm the business. Because we love what we do, we know we can change lives, and we know that there are people who get to farm next year who wouldn't get to farm if it weren't for that. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to name the person, but there's actually someone in Tyler's organization from out east. One of the most gratifying things I get is messages, texts, Facebook messages from people saying how we changed their life. And this one came from a grower's wife. And, you know, the, the, the deal was she said, I'd never met her. I still haven't met her. I wouldn't know her if I'd seen her. She sent me a message, and she said, I just want to say thank you. Two years ago, my husband said he thought we might be able to farm one more year, but there was no way we were going to be able to farm beyond that, and it was crushing his dreams. And she said, because of what you and Tyler and Preston have done, we're expanding, and things are growing well, and things are going great. And we get those messages on a regular basis, and that Nick is why we are so passionate. It's like we can't every day. It's just like, I just want to do more. You know, you start your day early, you work hard every day. It's not for the money. It's not because you get some kind of social media recognition, but it's because we are in the business of changing lives. And that's where the true passion comes from. That's what drives Karen every day. It's what drives Kayla. She's downstairs right now. You guys know what a meeting with brand new people, because she's putting together her her own organization, her own team. We are just passionate about changing
1: American agriculture. Absolutely. Could we take a sidebar and ask about Karen real quick? I know there's a lot of people that follow this. Sure. and just give a couple updates, if that's fair.
2: Yeah. Um, Karen's journey's been long. Uh, we started in uh, intensive care in Iowa City on November the 9th. We ended up in St. Luke's Hospital in Cedar Rapids, back to Iowa City, out to Nebraska, to a rehab center. That went very poorly, so I will not name them. We ended up in a hospital for another intensive care deal for, a, I don't know, three, four, five, six weeks. Went to Chicago for rehab. The COVID thing broke and they didn't want us to leave. We weren't ready to leave, but they didn't feel they could protect her. And she's been on a ventilator since the first of the year. And she's now down, she's on the ventilator about 12, 10, 12 hours a day and off. She has uh, good movement in her left arm and in her right. She's getting stronger and better every day. And we're starting to see things that are encouraging. And we are yeah, we love her very much. She is the driving force. I know that she's an important leader to you guys. Yes,
0: absolutely. She's an important leader
2: to our whole team. Uh, a lot of people who actually she derives no financial benefit from rely heavily on Karen and her leadership, and that's that's coming. And I can tell you this, guys. She's still listening to podcasts. <laughs> she's still reading books. She's, she is just relentless in her pursuit of getting better. Nobody will drive themselves harder than she is, and she's never lost that through this whole deal. So we're headed in the right direction. we just got a little ways to
1: go. Yeah, yeah, which is fantastic. So, Karen, I know you're going to hear this. and you're going to yeah. listen to it. Um, we're excited about you getting back to doing this stuff. And I know that you're basically most of the content behind all of this stuff. And yeah. it's just us that gets to do it. So right. looking forward to that. Now, the next question that I've got for you, Rod, and, and I keep bringing up your childhood because I, I think it's so interesting because, again, that just kind of molds our, our passion and, and some of the things that that we do as we get older. So so, sometimes, though, we have our parents and they say, hey, we've got to do this. And we think, man, this is annoying. This is is bad. It drives me nuts. But we do it anyway because we're told to. And so we always say, you know what? When I grow up, I'm either going to do this because I love it or I'm not going to do it because my parents made me and I hated it. So what are some of those things that made you say, you know what? When I grow up, this is how I'm going to do things. And I'm going to get away from from the things that that I hated when I was a child. Wait a
0: second, though. That would have to mean that he's kind of grown up. (laughs) I've gotten older. He's gotten older. You know, I've always heard it said, you have to get
2: older. Growing up is optional. Oh, I got (laughs) you. And I will tell you, Tyler, you know, I'm 60. And I still get sometimes I'll annoy somebody. And they'll say, when are you going to grow up? And I always just reactively, I don't even think about it. i always saying, what, be like you? (laughs) You know, because here's the deal we're all, there's only one way. Unless, unless the good Lord returns and we're raptured out, there's only one way out. We're all going to die. Right. And so on the way through, um, we're going to have a little bit of fun, you know? And so, yeah, I I take that exactly as you said it. I I guess (laughs) as I look back on my childhood, the things that I didn't like was because of the way we did things, we were relatively poor. And I tell everybody, there's no disgrace in being poor, but man, is it inconvenient. Mm -hmm. It's really inconvenient. And, Because of that, I I liked working hard. I still love working hard. Uh, You know, hard enough that my wife says, slow down, settle down. You know, I had a couple of heart attacks last year, and that that was kind of a a wake-up call maybe to slow down just a little bit. But we were just relentless in what we do. But, you know, things I remember, I, I can remember walking up from our barn to the house when the snow was falling in the winter, and it was peaceful, and it was still, and we had a foot of snow down, and we'd been down working with some newborn calves And I loved that feeling of accomplishment, and I I loved everything about that. I didn't like being poor. And I didn't like the fact that I knew there was maybe some better ways to do things, but on our farm, we chose not to do that. That was very difficult for me. And so the same things that I loved were actually the same things that I hated. And like I said, you know, in 1978, the land prices were starting to take off. And I didn't have the skill set nor the belief in myself that I should go in debt and buy a farm. In retrospect, I wish I'd have bought 10,000 acres, <laughs> yes. but hindsight's always twenty twenty, And, you know, and so that passion and that hate, so to speak, came from the exact same place. And today I still love that feeling of choring a cattle and a new, new fall of snow, harvesting corn under a full moon. All those things are still there. And so it all basically derived from the same address at Mount Stolen Iowa. Yeah. Gotcha.
0: So with the Better Way to Farm team here, we always talk about never stop learning, right? So what are some of the crop inputs that you've tried over the last 28 growing seasons that made you say, whoops, that didn't work? (laughs) Well, I don't know how to nicely say this. I'm not
2: real good at nicely saying anything anyway. Uh, I'll always talk and my my wife and my daughters will say, that's too far, Rod. You went too far. (laughs) So my first experience, this was my love-hate relationship. The summer that I was 19 years old, my little brother got his arm in a lawnmower. So my mom and dad lived in Iowa City with him, and they saved his arm and it worked out. God blessed us and it was great. However, my dad had trucks that I had to run with hired drivers, which I will never do again. And we had and I had chosen my summer project to pay for college was I had sixty head of gilts that I was gonna pig out just outside of the timber. And we had this fleet of trucks and those and we had hay down the day my brother got hurt and we, and we were gassing, putting gas on the corn. And I'd been up for about three and a half days around the clock. I hadn't been to bed and I blew a line on the anhydrous applicator. And back then I was young and skinny and fairly fast. I could run the half mile in just a shade under two minutes, which was an integral part of this story because <laughs> I was down on a bottom field and that line blew. And I bailed out of that tractor and I literally ran to get up out of the valley and I watched that gas cover that entire field. And to me, that was the first crop input that I had that was a total failure. Did it work on the corn? I don't know. I remember calling Dad and saying, Dad, I don't care what happens, but I'm done. That you're going to get somebody else to do because I'm not side dressing anhydrous ever again. Yep. And I've been very faithful to that. I stuck with a man of my word. I stuck to it. Um, and so that was my first big fail. I've tried, you know, we've ran over a thousand test plots. And guys will come to us, and they have some great... And a lot of products they have are well-intentioned, and they have a great theory. And I won't name the company, but I had a company come to me, and they had a product that was an earthworm food. And they talked about all the science, why it would work, how it worked, blah, blah, blah. It was like 12 bucks an acre. I used it in exactly the same replicated plot in exactly the same places for three years and got zero yield increase. Now, I believe strongly in earthworms. I do. That's one of the reasons I don't like anhydrous. But the fact of the matter is... I can't go to the American grower and get him to spend 12 bucks a year to feed these earthworms when I can't show it as a yield increase. And so I've tried a lot of things. You know, anhydrous was the first one. The earthworm food comes as another one. We've tested a lot of starter fertilizers, and I have seen those. You know, they've got something just like ours, only cheaper. They never save better. And the fact of the matter is I had an uncle who taught me a lot about life, and I can remember riding down Grand Avenue in Des Moines, Iowa, in 1976, I think it was. He had a brand new, a brand new Lincoln Continental with every option you could get, and we're riding down there. And I'm just a poor country farm boy, you know. And he looked over at me and he said, "Rod, only the rich can't afford to buy cheap things." And he reached over and he touched me on the arm and he said, "And I'm not that rich." And that has stuck with me. Now, I've been stupid, and I've I've went to town, and there was a good one and a cheap one, and I bought the cheap one, and it broke in two days. Then I went back and bought the good one, (laughs) which only made the good one more expensive. And I've confirmed that in these thousand test plots that we have ran over and over, Nick, because every time we use the cheap stuff, it costs us money. Every time. You know, we save five bucks an acre, and it costs us 15 bushel. Well, guys, I mean, I said I'd never run a truck line again. If you'll sell me corn... If I can buy 15 bushel of corn from your farm for $5, I will come and get it. I will get somebody to come and pick that up, and I'll take several hundred thousand bushel, okay? (laughs) Yes. And so that's kind of the deal. Is What we've basically seen is theories that didn't work. I don't like a theorist. I want the man. I don't care about the guy that says, oh, I'd like to do it this way. If I was going to do it, I'd do it this way, but he's never going to do it. I want to talk to the guy who's got work boots, who's got calluses on his hands, who's out there sweating, and died in that field and doing the testing. And that's what we have done, Nick. And those failures that we've seen almost always where somebody had a bright idea or a theory that didn't pan out.
1: Yeah. I would definitely agree with that. Yeah, exactly. Now, I, I hate that I keep bringing up negative, but it seems like, especially in the world we live in now, the, the negative questions or the, the negativity is the one that always piques everybody's interest. So... With that being said, I've I've got to admit that we did reach out before we recorded this podcast. We did reach out to some of the followers, some of the growers, and ask them for some questions that they might want to ask you. And one was specifically in regards, and we've kind of touched on it a little bit, but was getting knocked down and then kind of getting back up again. And, you know, many of us in agriculture, even if it's, you know, our industry or our personal lives, we've had to deal with some of that adverse adversity. So. What are some of those instances that you've had and that experience, and what kind of keeps you driving forward? I don't
2: know. I guess for our family, our whole family, this quit just doesn't exist. But, you know, as I think about this, I had a couple of times when I got really mashed hard. I got involved with a company back in the mid-'80s. I was farming, and and I got a deal. We were raising bottle calves, And we got this super premium. Mm. You couldn't feed antibiotics. You had to make a, a Holstein calf gain three pounds a day from the day it was born till it got to 350 pounds. Now, that's, boys, that's hard to do. That's very well, hard to do. Anyway, I've there's people been in your shoes, right, that is tough. <laughs> okay, so, you know, fat cattle sometimes can gain three pounds a day, but you don't get up. So, we learned a lot about it, and we were really good at what we were doing. We were turning 30 of them a month, and we were making really good money. And I get this batch of calves, and I always went and bought them myself. So, it wasn't that they were bad calves, and we just have a train wreck. And the emotional toll of losing 21 of those calves was just crushing. And finally, at about calf 16, I took it to Iowa State, had it, had one posted, and they said, you're starving these calves to death. Now, I took offense to that because we fed our calves. The way we got them to do this was we fed three times a day for a week, two times a day for a week, one time a day for a week, and then weaned them. And everybody's like, you can't wean in three weeks. Yes, you can. And if you want them to gain really fast, you will. So we're still in the – they're dying just in hordes, okay, on the three times a week. And so I went home and I had my milk replacer sampled. And they had sent me the company, and it's a major feed company in the United States today. I won't name them because I don't want to be sued, but I will tell you that they're big. And I I had their milk replacer sampled and it was old. Oh, it was man. so old that the protein had completely died off. There was no there was no feed value in the milk replacer. Oh. So I called them and I said, This is the deal. What are you going to do to help me out? And they said, nothing. Sue us. That was their attitude. Wow. wow. Nothing. <laughs> feel free to sue us. They knew I, it was going to cost me more to sue them than I was going to get out of it. And so that was our first deal, was how do you bounce back by being betrayed by your local feed dealer who did nothing to back me up by the by a major company that does all kinds of dog food commercials and lets you think they care about animals. And, resp- and I wasn't the only guy that got that bad batch of I was just the only guy that figured it out more than likely. You know, but the, the deal is we were resilient and we just quit. You know, next month we went and got 30 more calves we did get a new feed company. And, uh, you know, <laughs> we were... probably I, good. <laughs> and then the company that we were feeding for shortly thereafter, about two batches of calves later, sold out to a major telecom company. They wanted the name, the trademark of the beef we were selling. Mm-hmm. And I got stuck with, a, at that point in time, I had about 150 head of these very high dollar calves and I had to take sale barn price for them so those two things were a train wreck and hard on our farming career but we you know it was just like somehow we just never give up and and somebody once told me a long time ago when you get to the end of your rope tie a knot in it so you can hang on and that's pretty much where we were fast forward i got out of that deal and kind of recovered then i made a really bad business decision and then About 90 days in 1989, I
0: lost
2: $300,000. I had a, the the paper that Iowa Depends on, I I'd started a project, I had everything set up financially, two banks were in, they were excited. The paper that Iowa Depends on came down, did an interview, didn't print anything that I said, just twisted it to get their negative spin, and the, the paper hit on a Thursday morning uh, by noon on Thursday, both banks had called and said, this is too controversial, we're out. And I had $300,000 worth of debt that was supposed to be amortized over 10 years, mm-hmm. and it became net 30. Yep. And so we ended up, we sold our everything on our farm. I sold all my cattle that were paid for, I sold all my equipment, because I was either going to be forced into a bankruptcy, or I was going to figure out how to control and pay off what I wanted and I could control it. And we did pay all that off, but it took a long, long, long time. But again... It just never occurred to us to quit. It never occurred to me to go get a job. That wasn't who I was. There's nothing wrong with that. Some people, that's fantastic. For me, that wasn't a choice. And so we bounced back from a couple of good hits. I made one other $300,000 mistake that I'm not going to talk about. But you know, I kind of went into that one with my eyes wide open and, and said, we can overcome this. And I think that the deal, and everybody that's in agriculture, you know, I got friends in in uh, up north that got hailed out. This week, yep. you know, but they're yep. going to overcome that. I got friends in the Dakotas that got held out. They're going to overcome that. You know, we, we had friends that lived through the 93 flood down on the Mississippi river. And, and it's just one of those deals where the tears run and it's yep. hard. And hopefully you married the right wife because it's, I, to the women that are listening, we love you. Because here's what I know. It truly takes a special woman to be married to a guy in agriculture, whether the yes. guy's in sales, whether he's in production, whether he owns his own farm. And we love you guys because you'll stick with it and you're willing to to give him a pat on the shoulder or the hug when he needs it and say, tomorrow will be a better day. You know, oftentimes fights aren't won because we have a great day. Fights are won because at the end of the day, there's this small voice that comes to you and says, we'll try again tomorrow. And I guess just to never quit listening to that voice and to never give up on your dreams and say, this is just a detour. Yep, That's that's pretty much how we look at it.
1: Well, I think just from all the people that, that I know and especially looking at the the guys right here with on this episode, you know, we are all extremely passionate about the ag industry. We're very resilient. You, you know, there's not many things that'll knock us down and we're gonna say, Oh, I gotta hightail it out of here and go do something else. I mean we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna stay in this for the long haul. So I think there's something to be said about the, the agriculture industry uh, in general. I would agree.
0: So, Rod, we all know that soil health is a huge buzzword in agriculture right now. So what, in your opinion, is the most cost-effective way to impact your soil health? I did a live on this because
2: it's not the buzzword that it was. You know, there for a while, I was like, every magazine that I got, soil health, soil health, soil health. Guys, soil health has always been important, and that's the drum that we've been banging since the day we started. So to me, I'm not opposed to cover crops, although I think they require you actually learning them. Just throwing out some cover crops and hoping is not a good idea. And so I'm not going to say that's the most cost-effective way. But what I said was, it said, what it talked about, the the article that really set me off was one that said, does your soil need rehab? And I will shout from the mountaintops, your soil does not need rehab. You do. Yes. (laughs) Okay, rehab is for people that need to quit something. Your soil's fine. But the cheapest, most effective, the most cost-effective way to do that is stop doing what got you where you are. When we started farming this ground in the 1850s to the 1900s, we had great soil health everywhere. Mm -hmm. And then we got the bright idea there that all of the companies came along and they were like, use this salt-based fertilizer and use this anhydrous. And guys, salt-based fertilizer and anhydrous is actually it is one of the base ingredients in methamphetamine, and it is addictive. And the more you put on this year, the more you have to do next year to get the same result. And we just keep burning out the organic matter. We keep killing the fungi and we keep killing the bacteria and all the microbes. So, guys, there's a very cost-effective way to build your soil health. Stop it. Some guys have to till, and I understand that. But if we're doing recreational tractor driving for entertainment value, (laughs) stop it. Yes. Just quit. (laughs) Okay? So how's it cost-effective? Well, you stop wasting money on diesel fuel. You stop wasting money on parts not everybody can no till and i get that but we need to take a look at reduced tillage all right we need to say we need to come and and you know i believe there's an 11th commandment thou shalt not kid thyself and we got to be honest with ourselves anhydrous is not not the least expensive form i mean people that sell it tell you you're going to lose 10 to 20% because it's just going to go into the atmosphere that adds 20% to the price and guys it hurts our soil health you guys know my son and i there's a previous podcast you can go back and listen to it Kurt and I talk about how much we dislike potassium chloride. I believe the potassium chloride is of the devil. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I got to have potassium. Well, here's my question for you, Mr. Farmer. If putting on lots of potassium chloride in a build program worked, why do you still need to put on potassium chloride today? Yeah. And I get, question. they you just stare at me with this blank stare. And the fact of the matter is, Nick, it doesn't work. We yeah. don't move that needle very much. And we have to put on more and more. And so the things that I'm at, number one, is reduce tillage where you can. Number two, stop using anhydrous. Number three, stop using potassium chloride in particular. And let's look at at softer chemistries that are more friendly to the soil. And then even when we're purchasing those, I I have some tests down in in my room. You know, I've got some tests down there for some nitrogen that one of our new clients took this year. And they were buying and paying for 28005. Yep. And they were receiving 24002.
0: Whoa.
2: But as an added bonus, it was laced with cadmium yeah. and chromium. Oh, yes. well, you know, that's helpful. Yeah, exactly. If you'd like to, like, you know, chrome your pipes or whatever, but right. no, it's not even that kind of chromium. <laughs> and, 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 you know, the, the fact of the matter is, those things are decimating our soil health because cadmium is a, is a carcinogenic heavy metal. So is chromium. And so, what we got to do is, we got to be vigilant. And we got to be willing to test our, test the stuff that we're buying and find out what we're getting. And then we got to hold those suppliers accountable. I encourage the guys that get our stuff in, pull a sample and send it in, bring it on. I'm fine. Because we test every load we send out, you just as well test it too. Yes. (laughs) Yes.
1: Exactly. So when I typed up this question, it's one that that has me a little bit nervous and it talks about an unlimited budget. So I'm going to say the first part of this is with an unlimited budget, You cannot buy the St. Louis Cardinals. We're we're talking about an unlimited budget on your farming operation and, and what kind of you would do to your farming operation or what you might share to some other guys about if we had that unlimited budget, we would improve our farming operation. And why would you give those recommendations? Okay. And here's the funny part, Tyler. If you had told me
2: you have a very limited budget, you're almost broke, I'll give you the same answer on both of them for the first thing I do. Sure. Fix your pH. I don't sell lime, but there's nothing I can do that will make you the money that at correcting your pH. Pay. If I had an unlimited budget on my own farm, I would just go spread three ton of lime everywhere. Yeah. Because we're like everybody else. We have pastures that don't have the right pH, and I know they'd be way more productive. And it's really stupid to farm more acres when we have the choice to farm less acres and be much more productive. Yeah. Okay? From a pasture standpoint, why do I want to have to keep the fence up? and have 20 miles of fence when I could get the exact same amount of grass out of 10 miles of fence. That's the deal. And for that row crop farmer, I mean, I, I look at Jim that I, I worked with this spring, and he was talking about the fact he had 200 acres, and he had this there was 160, and it was always really good when they went to, to it that it would always be, the 160 would be a foot to 18 inches taller than this 140 that was a part of the farm. And he, you know, I think he was checking to see if I was any good at what I did. And he want me to sell him some miracle product. And we pulled the soil test and we looked at him. And I just started laughing. And they're like, what? And I said, all this needs is lime. And he called me here oh, a month ago. And he said, when we went out and hip that up for furrow irrigation, it's the same height as all the rest of it. You can't tell it from the other part of the field. And it was really something just that simple. So Tyler, with an unlimited budget, the first thing I do with life. The second thing I do if I was a row crop producer, though, is I would buy my own sprayer. Yes. Absolutely. you agree with that? Oh, Here's the line. I (laughs) believe it puts you in charge of your own destiny, and I would buy a sprayer that I could spray my pre-emerge, I would spray my post-emerge, I would foliar feed, I would have a set of Y-drops, and I would run that sprayer more than anything else on the farm. Mm-hmm. Because I believe that's where you're going to make the most money. I believe there's more money lost in farming by guys not controlling their own spray. And I know they say, well, the people who do my spraying, they're like my hired man. da 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 And I get that. And, and guys, I'm I'm just saying what I would do. I'm Not, yep. not everybody's going to agree with me. I'm fairly used to that. But, uh, you know, that's the
0: two things I'd do. I'd fix my pH, and I would buy a sprayer. See, I thought... His first thing would be like, you know, something to control the deer population. We're not going to talk about that. Okay. Okay. All right. Sorry. That that was. I didn't mean to push a button. There there
2: may or may not be plans in place for that. I don't know.
1: Okay. All all right. Well. Yeah. No. No. It would be (laughs) lime and sprayer. All right. You didn't get the memo that said don't ask about deer. Oh. (laughs) Whoops. I'll go back and read my cliff notes. Yeah. <laughs> so I do have to admit, though, one of the most rewarding things for me being a part of the Better Way to Farm team is the testimonials from the growers. You just shared one from one of my guys out in uh, Pennsylvania. And I also know some of your stories. Nick, We, you know, we kind of know some of those stories. But could you take some time and share one or two of those testimonials that have really kind of hit your heart? The most meaningful ones really do come from the wives. When we're able to take the stress
2: off. We have a family back home. I'm not going to name them. Uh, he was he was like a hero to me. He went to a neighboring school district. He's about six or seven years older. And I can remember going as a sixth grader, and he was a senior to the football game between us. And it was like, Mr. X on the tackle, Mr. X on the touchdown, Mr. X on the interception. I'm like, somebody shoot him. <laughs> you know? I mean, yes. he's single-handed. It's like, I'm sure that school district had other players on the field, but it was always Mr. X. Yep. So, Mr. X became a client with us, and and I walked into his house one year in the fall, and his wife, and then when he left high school, he became a Marine. So, I, I walk in, his wife comes up, jumps into my arm, puts her neck arm around my neck, and I'm thinking, I'm a dead man. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I'm still scared of him. Yep, okay? Right. <laughs> i scared of him when I was 6th grader. I'm still scared of him. <laughs> and she said, I just want to thank you. I said, why? And She goes, this is the first time, and they've been farming for 30 years, we were able to pay all of our bills. We paid off all of our notes. We bought our daughter a car. We have money left over.
0: Wow. We don't have
2: to go and try and roll over a note. We don't have to do anything. And the single biggest thing that they did was they put zero potassium on their soybeans, and their soybean cyst nematode numbers didn't flourish, and their bean yields with no potassium went up about 12 or 15 bushel to the acre. And it was a game changer. And all of a sudden they realized what they were doing was hurting themselves. Mm-hmm. And so when you get those kinds of testimonials... That how you change a family's life, it's very rewarding. And I you know, I enjoy working with Jerry. Uh, you know, Jerry's got twenty five national N C G A wins. That's that's rewarding yep. too. And I you know, I sit at that banquet and my eyes well up and I'm so proud of what that farm that farm does. You know, but those are fun, but it's the ones where the life is changed and the kids' lives are better or You know, a kid can come home and farm now that couldn't because they figured out how to make another 50 bucks or 100 bucks an acre. Those are the ones, Tyler, that mean the most
0: to me. So you mentioned just now working with Jerry, um, and you've worked with a lot of them, right? Uh, Francis and Francis Childs and Jerry Cox. How have you been able to work with growers across the United States and what keeps them loyal to the team and to our supplier of the company?
2: Well, I'd like to tell everybody
0: it's because I'm charming.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right. We'd all love to <laughs> tell everybody because you're charming. But but that's, that's not it. You know, it's funny. It, it's A, number one, in any business, the products have to be a given, and they are. Okay? And so there's a, there's a loyalty factor because the results work. You know, I, I, I love Francis. Francis, he spent, I right, think, the last two Thanksgivings that he was here uh, with us. And my daughter, you know, we, we loved Francis. We did. He was part of our family. But the results, and both those guys have a constant, they just never wanted never wanted to quit learning. They always wanted to learn more. Always wanted to do better. They're driven like we were. I'll never forget, we did a meeting with Francis, and we were in Grand Island, Nebraska. And we walk out to the parking lot, and Francis says, race you to Omaha and it was game on. <laughs> and praise the Lord, there was not one cop on Interstate 80. Wow. Because I know we averaged about 105 miles an hour from Grand <laughs> Island <laughs> to West. But that's just how Francis was. Everything was wide open. And, you know, I, I watched Jerry and his son play a basketball game one night. They were playing some pickup basketball. I was down at their house, and Matt leaned over, or come over and he goes, you want to play? And I was like, no, I don't want none of that. You know, they were so competitive, just at a Fun, supposedly pickup game, you know, I was like, I can't hang with that. They both played college ball and I didn't. But, you know, and so I think it's the results, but it's also part of its personality. The guys who are competitive and want to keep growing will do it. And I think part of it is, Nick, there are certain people who are just born with loyalty. And, and, and the thing that I look at when I build my team, this isn't for the growers, but for the guys who are selling. I tell everybody, look, I can teach you everything you want. I can't teach you honesty and I can't teach you loyalty. Those are the only two characteristics that I really look for, because everything else I can I can teach. I can't, if you're inherently a loyal person, that's great. If you're inherently somebody who's just not loyal and can't be trusted, I can't change that. And so you talk about Francis and you talk about Jerry, those guys, they just are incredibly loyal anyway, whatever they're working with. You know, we get guys that come and they get educated by us. I just talked to a guy today on the phone, you know, he wants me to spend three hours of my life trying to teach him how to do something. He wants to go to town and buy some junk product, and it mm-hmm. won't work. Right. You know, and so they come and they, they get some education. They try and, and find it, and they try and source it someplace and buy some off-brand something that's cheap, you know. And I, I kind of equate that to you go out here and you you learn how to, you know, you you want a Cadillac and you buy a Cadillac and you learn all the features of the Cadillac and then you go find a gold beat-up Yugo, and then you whine because it doesn't ride like the Cadillac does, you know, and it's the same thing, and so I think it's results, I think it's that inherently we attract, you know, our Facebook page attracts people of a certain kind, they tend to have certain religious views, they tend to have certain political beliefs, they tend to have the core values that we have, and I think that also helps with that, because they're not, they're not out looking, and honestly, Nick, sometimes it's that the, the people who are cutting edge and want to work hard, they're sometimes kind of outcasts in their own community. Mm-hmm. And so they become loyal to somebody who will they can talk to freely, but will keep their mouth shut and not burn them at the local coffee shop or not right. talk about them. And so there's a certain factor there that there's a mentality that they belong to something different, something special. You know, we're, we're going to get together 30, 40, 50 guys who are all like-minded, and they're going to become friends. For life. And they're going to call each other and they're going to share ideas. And that's another factor of the loyalty. You know, you two are important because Kayla's got a couple of new team members from Maine downstairs, but they're going to become loyal because they have a friendship with Tyler and Nick.
0: And yep. that's, that's another component. Yep. So I swear this is the final question. <laughs> I mean, we're going on 42 minutes here, Rod. So thank you so much for staying with me and Tyler here. Yes. You know, it's been a, it's been a wild ride here so far. <laughs> So how do you balance your time between family, farming, and such a successful page and group with the a Better Way to Farm? Well, first
2: of all, I feel like God spent the first. You know, I got started this. I was thirty-two, and I literally spent thirty-two years of preparing. And sometimes the challenges that we go through today are actually just to educate us for tomorrow. And and all these stories that I shared, you know, they were all education. They really were, and I. I one of the things I want to encourage everybody listening to this to, maybe the value that I bring you isn't as much the products or even the knowledge, but if I can encourage you to make yourself better, I want you every day to read a book. Do something. Listen to a podcast. Follow John Maxwell. Read The Greatest Miracle in the World. Read How to Win Friends and Influence People. I don't care what you're doing. Those, you know, you're a farmer you're like, why do I need to know how to win friends and influence people? Because you have landlords. okay? <laughs> and the better you can talk to them and the more influence you can have, the better deal you can negotiate and you can work on. And so our deal was, first of all, was preparation. Maxwell says that you spend all of your life doing one of two things. You can prepare today or repair tomorrow. And you and I, if I say, who do you know that's repairing all the time? You get some guy's face comes up and he just, everything gets screwed up. He always has bad luck. It's not bad luck. He doesn't prepare, okay? And yeah. so one of the things, Nick, that we do that's, that's a, I mean, Kayla does it, Karen does it, my wife does it. Before I go to bed tonight, I will have a list of what I need to get accomplished tomorrow. Now, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to have a plan and it'll be scrapped nine times by noon, but I have a list. You know, the phone will ring literally a hundred times a day and something will happen and it will change that. But we always have a list because our goal is to always be well prepared and spend very little time repairing so that's the first thing we do that makes it run well. The farm, I have a, part of it is, is I have a tremendous team. You know, at a better way to farm, I think one of the things that people don't want to do this day and age is they don't want to pay the price. And they don't want to, they, we grew into all of it. You know, when I started doing this, I wasn't farming at that time because I'd have just made that big mistake and I didn't have two nickels to rub together. But we grew into all of it. You know, we started with just a few cows, we started with a team of zero people. Today we have, you know, several hundred people on our team marketing. And so I learned how to train one guy, and then I learned how to train five guys, and then we learned how to train 25 guys. And people like you, uh, you know, I got Tyler, I got Nick, I got Preston, I got Chris, uh, I got my daughters, you know, I, I got all these people, my son, who are tremendous resources for me. We all get better every day, and therefore we all learn faster, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And that's how we get in front of it. I have a tremendous family, you know, uh, and we love farming together. Karen and Nick, my son in law Nick, does a great job of reading soil tests and working with growers and helping them. Karen runs a Facebook page, Kayla's helping her. Everybody's, it's fun to listen to Kayla talk. We get a brand new grower that contacts us on the phone, and I, I just sat there in amazed. I have an 18 year old daughter, and everybody thinks they're talking to somebody that's 32,
0: mm-hmm. you know?
2: And so we it's about having a team. I've got three grandkids that live a mile from me. And, you know, we build a, we're we going to build a couple miles of fence this year. And we were out just picking up the sticks and doing that. But they're part of the team because you've got to have somebody that will go do those things. And so those are the things. But I think the most important thing is to be willing to grow into it. You know, don't get too big too fast. And then I think it's the whole idea of, of preparing for the next day, preparing what's your plan for the month, what's your plan for the year. And that's how we keep the wheels on the bus to, to make sure we have time for our church, to make sure that we have time for our family, to make sure that we being able to be here with our new people getting trained at this meeting that we're at right now but it's all about preparation because if we're not willing to do that it's going to become so hectic that it's not worth it and it's not any
1: fun yeah. that's great well thank you Rod for sharing all your stories today and, and I hope that everyone listening to this episode really enjoyed it I do I, I've got to ask one more question because I know that, that you are truly passionate about sports especially your baseball team and your football team, right? So, you know, as a man of God, if he were to come down and ask you, all right, are you going to be a Cubs fan or a Huskers fan, which one do you pick? Wow. That's that's really hard. I uh, Save that for
2: another episode? Yeah, I, I think I'm going to have to decline on that one. I appreciate it very much, and God bless all the long-suffering Cubs fans. I will say that. Let me say this about the Huskers as we close. I am excited because, you know, they, they just kept issuing frost warnings. You know, we've had three years of <laughs> yes, frost warnings. Yes, yes, And I can tell you that at we're very comfortable that we can now plant corn in November because it's never going to frost again. Right, <laughs> you say that. <laughs> that's, oh. good. that's good. <laughs> that's that's hilarious. hilarious.
1: So I will, I, I guess I'll, I'll give you one last comment if you want. Anybody that's listening to this episode, is there anything that, that you'd just like to share real quick? You mentioned uh, the, the upcoming ProAg, any of that stuff. Is there anything, kind of one last yeah, guys, there, there really is
2: a better way to farm. And we got to look yeah. at what we're going to do different. That's the whole idea. And I encourage you, to you know, whoever turned you on to this podcast, whoever said, hey, Joe, you need to listen to this. Get a hold of Amp, get a hold of Tyler Nick, and Nick. Send me a message. You know, you get a hold of Rod at 641-919-1206. I actually do answer my phone I will call you back. Or send me a text because we would love for you to sit down with us, be a part of the team. And what I want to say, I'll leave it with this. If we always do the same old thing, Tyler, we're always going to get the same old results. Change something. Experiment with something. Learn something new
1: every day. Thank you, everyone, for the love and support, not only for the podcast, but also the Facebook page and the other forms of social media that we're on. We really hope that you enjoyed this episode on the Better Way to Farm podcast. And remember to like and subscribe. Even leave a review for us and prove these interviews and future content that we will be bringing to you. Take care and God bless.